following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people, and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer, and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions, or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. This evening's reading is taken from Matthew 8, verses 28 to 34. Um, And I'll just give you a second to find that in your Bibles. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Here ends the reading. I speak in the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. So good evening. We're carrying on our sermon series on witnesses to Christ as we look at people in Matthew's Gospel whose lives were transformed by meeting Jesus. Three weeks ago, Tom talked about Jesus and his first disciples. Then Brandon preached about Jesus healing the man with leprosy. And last week, Sarah spoke about Jesus healing the daughter of a Roman centurion. Tonight, we're going to look at Matthew's account of Jesus casting out demons from two men. So tonight's story starts at verse 28. It goes like this. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. Okay, there's a lot of information packed in that first sentence, so let's unpack it. First, when he arrived at the other side, well, the other side of what? Okay, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a freshwater lake lying a long way below sea level in the Jordan Valley. Jesus and his disciples had got on a boat to get away from the huge crowds that were following them round. But suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake with waves sweeping over the boat. And Jesus slept through the whole thing until his disciples, who were experienced local fishermen, got so worried that in a panic they woke him up. And we were told back in verse 23 that Jesus got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. His disciples were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So tonight's reading starts with Jesus landing somewhere on the eastern shore of the lake in a very different region where most of the population are not Jewish. As he gets off the boat, he's approached by two men who are possessed by demons, who are so violent that no one can go anywhere near them. They're outcasts from society, so they were probably living in those tombs from which they emerged, which were very likely just caves in the hillside. And the men approach Jesus, but it's the demons who do the talking. Verse 29. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. In Greek, they literally say, what to us and to you. But the scholar R.T. France says in this context, it was quite an aggressive phrase. It's more like, leave us alone, son of God. 
son of God. The demons know who Jesus is and they're worried. I mean, these aren't terrifying horror movie demons, you know, with big, deep voices. These guys are scared. Why? Well, they say to Jesus, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Now, that's interesting. Back then, people believed that torture is basically what demons do, that their favourite activity is to torment and kill humans. So is there a touch of projection going on here? You know, like when someone accuses other people, their critics or say their opponents, of doing or being something which deep down they know that they are themselves. Or does it just reveal that the demons know that Jesus has the power to destroy them and that one day he will? Hence that weird comment about the timing. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? What is that like, torture date? Actually, not only do the demons recognise Jesus as the Son of God, but it seems they also understand he's got to show up again at the end of time, when God's kingdom will come and evil and death will be at an end. But he's early. The world isn't at an end. So what's the Son of God doing on some random hillside in Galilee? The demons are outraged that Jesus has shown up ahead of time to get in the way of their torturing of humans. It's not our time, they say. And in a way, they're right. That final defeat of death and evil will come at the end of human history. But what the demons haven't realised is that with the arrival of Jesus, everything has changed and the kingdom of God has started to break into the present time. That when God became human, the end of history started to erupt into the middle. The demons thought they had the run of the earth for now, but they were wrong. That final showdown may be some way ahead, but Jesus is already starting to claim back some of the world from those dangerous forces. So the demons start to negotiate. Now, it was widely understood at the time that demons have to have a home of some sort, but these guys are in the middle of nowhere. So they look around, spot a big herd of pigs and beg to be allowed to go into the pigs instead of the men anything to get away from the Son of God. Then Jesus says one word, the only word he says in this whole story, go, and they're gone. Gone from the men, gone into the pigs. But as the tormenting of the demons made the men violent, perhaps their tormenting of the pigs made them stampede, but in any case, the entire herd plunges into the lake. Now, it's likely that original audience weren't too worried about the pigs, but you may well be thinking, what about those poor animals? I've been to Broomhouse Farm, pigs are cute. No, you won't be alone. I cannot tell you how much ink has been spilled raising questions about the pigs and the demons. Like, why didn't Jesus just destroy the demons completely? Was it because it's not yet time for that final showdown? What about the pigs? Did Jesus not care about the pigs? Did Jesus mean the pigs to die? Or did the demons kill them? And should Jesus have foreseen that? Like if the demons went into the pigs, the pigs would end up in the lake? Does that mean Jesus doesn't care about cruelty to animals? And also these pigs belong to local people. Doesn't Jesus care about their livelihoods? Does Jesus condone the destruction of private property? Like does he even care about capitalism? And the theologian Hans Fry has even written about a dispute that happened over 130 years ago between a scientist and a politician, between T.H. Huxley, who popularised Darwin's theory of evolution, and William Gladstone, the great 19th century British Prime Minister. And these two guys were arguing about the nature of truth. 
and discuss the passage in Mark's Gospel which tells the story of Jesus and the demons and the pigs. And so they end up debating whether Jesus condoned the destruction of livestock and personal property. How times have changed. I've been trying to imagine Boris Johnson and, say, Brian Cox debating the nature of truth by exegeting Matthew chapter 8. And I failed. Basically, we don't have the answer to many of those questions. We can't look behind the text. But in any case, I don't think that's the main point of this story. Because this episode isn't a one-off. It's one of a series of events following on from the story of the healing of the leper and the woman with the bleeding. And immediately before it comes that story of Jesus calming the storm. They're all connected. Indeed, some commentators think the storm was of demonic origins too. And many people point out parallels between the raging storm and the raging of the men. Jesus stilling the winds and waves and casting out the demons, restoring both the sea and the men to peace. This series of events demonstrates the power Jesus has over everything. He can heal the sick, restore the outcast, calm the raging winds, even cast out powerful demons. Which underscores that question in the boat. What kind of man is this? As one ancient commentary put it, while the men in the boat are doubting what manner of man this is, that even the winds and the sea obey him, the demons come to tell them. And that's right, isn't it? Even Jesus' disciples haven't yet realised who he is, but the demons know, and they know because they know Jesus has come to conquer evil and death, and they're in trouble. Now, if you're a regular at this service, you'll remember Brandon's brilliant sermon two weeks ago about Jesus healing the man with leprosy. And in that, he explained about the Jewish ritual purity laws, that twin binary of pure, impure and holy profane. And leprosy is an example of something impure, which risks contaminating the holy if they came into contact. contact. He was drawing on the work of Matthew Thiessen, who explains that Jesus didn't reject Jewish purity rules, but followed them in a way that transformed everything. So Brandon said when Jesus touched the man, far from the ritual impurity contaminating Jesus, Jesus's holiness and purity transferred to him. And seen from Thiessen's perspective, today's story is quite striking. It's set in predominantly Gentile territory. It centres on men possessed by demons, also known as impure spirits. They live in tombs among dead bodies, which are ritually impure. And their nearest neighbours are a herd of pigs, animals which were ritually unclean. It's just like impurity squared or quadrupled. It's like an illustration of ritual impurity. And into this scene of mass ritual impurity steps Jesus. But once again, rather than being contaminated by the impurity, Jesus' holiness and purity transfer to the men. And they're delivered of the demons and free to live once more among the living and not the dead. So I don't think today's story is really about the pigs. It's about the power of Jesus over everything. The Jesus who goes where nobody else can go. Which was great news for the men freed of the demons. But it's just as much good news for us. The demons tormented those men, made them behave in ways that left them isolated from others without home or hope. It's no accident that today we still talk metaphorically about people having demons when there's something in their life that's destructive of who they really are. For some people, it's the demon drink. 
You may have been in our church the day that we heard a great talk from Tim, who leads the recovery group at St Nick's. He talked movingly about his own battle with alcohol and of the way addiction took over his life until he went to Alcoholics Anonymous with its 12-step programme, which he explained to us. The first three commitments for the members were these. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And Tim thinks these have much wider application. Now this 12-step programme is indeed used for all kinds of addictions, drugs or gambling or food or sex. And you may struggle with addiction. And if so, please know there is help out there. But you know, I think most of us have aspects of our lives where things aren't right. Unhealthy behaviour patterns where we're not really in control. And the simple fact is that to be our true selves, to live as we were meant to be, every one of us needs the transforming power and love of God. I need it every bit as much as those demon-possessed men raging around the hillside tombs. But the really good news is we don't have to wait for a boat to pull up carrying a Messiah. We just have to open our lives to the transforming love of God. To decide, in the words of the third of the 12 steps, to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Because that's what discipleship is. It's the slow process of repeatedly placing ourselves and our lives into God's hands and trusting God will not fail us. Knowing, as David Day said in his faith story, Christ never lets you down. In most of the stories in this series, those whose lives have been transformed by meeting Jesus go on to become his most powerful witnesses. Other people see how their lives have been transformed and they want to know more. And the Gospels are full of stories of Jesus doing amazing miracles. And as the word spreads, people from all around the area gather to see him and ask for help. And at the end of today's story, we read that those tending the pigs ran off into the town and told everyone what had happened. Verse 33, then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Come again? That's not what we expect. And we're not told why they want rid of Jesus. I guess maybe they were upset at the economic loss. I mean, I can hear them saying, does he not realise what a herd of pigs is worth? What's he going to do next? Come for the sheep? Or maybe, you know, they were scared because this is clearly somebody out of the ordinary. Someone of power. Someone who destabilises life. Just get him out of here. Let everything get back to normal. I get that. I came to faith in middle age and the more I heard about Jesus, the more I was drawn to him. But another part of me wanted to put my fingers in my ears and run in the opposite direction because I knew if I really opened myself to Jesus, life would never be the same again. And it hasn't been, but in a really good way. And I give thanks every day for the wonderful, joyful power of knowing Jesus. And I think that's the message at the heart of today's reading, indeed of this whole sermon series. Knowing Jesus changes lives. So if you don't know Jesus yet, He's there with his hands stretched out, waiting for you to take it. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And for
for those of us who know challenges to trust him with all of our lives, even the messy, impure bits, especially those bits. And let the grace and mercy, the purity and holiness of Jesus slowly transfer to us and transform our lives. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.